Well, good morning and Merry Christmas Eve. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's look into the prophetic word that characterizes the birth of our Lord will take us to what is perhaps the most famous Christmas title for Jesus, the name Emmanuel. Not only will we seek to define what Emmanuel truly means, but we will see that it is used in its original context to help us better understand the transforming power of God's faithfulness and presence. Thanks for joining us today as we examine Jesus, the Chosen One, as Emmanuel. One of my favorite memories when I was going to church as a young child was going to Sunday school. Our uh, church tradition was to have big church service and then immediately following the service uh, there was a time of Sunday school for the children and my parents would leave and I still to this day have no idea where they would go. But my sister and I, I think it was McDonald's. I don't know. That's what I always thought. Maybe McDonald's. But we, my sister and I would have Sunday school. And then after that hour was over, um, all of the kids would line up in the back of the church. And one by one, we would wait for parents to return. And I don't know why that's one of my, it's one of my favorite memories is waiting with my sister, waiting for our mom and dad to return. I think maybe part of it was that you could, you could see how you weren't alone in that. All the children were gathered there. And it almost reminds me of one of those nature films of the penguins, how they're waiting. You know, all the penguins just waiting for the parents to return. Well, that was like me and my sister, just waiting. Each child, each set of kids belonged to a different set of parents. And they would wait for them to pick them up. And it wasn't like we could go anywhere. <laughs> it wasn't like we knew what to do. We had to wait for them to come and get us. Um, that doesn't last, does it? As you get older, you, you start to see the world a little bit differently. Uh, seems to change because in one sense, as a child, you loved the way in which your parents had a loving boundary around you to set in terms for you in your life, the places that you should and shouldn't go and uh, you had to wait for them. As, as small children, I remember finding comfort in that. But as we get older, we tend to want our own independence to do what we like to do. I'm talking to the teenagers now, right, Emma? Uh, we'd rather do what we would like, go where we would want. And yet I think that there is something cherished that's worth a return of that moment. If I can recall as a child... That loving care of, of a parent waiting for them to come to get us. Amen. There's a mirror in this with our faith. And there's a challenge for you and I as we live in a world of independence and of um, democratic rule to have whatever we want to have whenever we want to have it. That for those who are called to follow after the chosen one, Jesus Christ. That instead there is for you and I a shaping that happens for us to give us and offer us a better way. That we would learn to wait and in our waiting we would then learn to follow as God comes to us. In our study this morning, as I've already mentioned, we're going to look at this title, Emmanuel. And what that meant as it was first heard. And the way in which we will go back to see it is, in fact, going to probably change in your mind some expectations. Two things I want you to watch for as we look into God's word. 
That there is a way of thinking about God that is given to you by our world. And then there's a better way. A way that is given to us through God's word. Watch for that as we get to the end of this um, short study this morning. Uh, To this end, we're going to pick up where um, Don left us off. In Matthew, we have the birth of Jesus as it is told to Joseph. Matthew in chapter 1. Uh, Just reading in verse 20, it says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his People from their sins. We're going to pay attention to those pronouns as we get a little further into this. But Matthew then, by word of revelation, records the next insight that Joseph was given. Verse 22 says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, if you are a sharp Bible student, you will know this passage in Isaiah. One that we return to many Christmases is found in Isaiah chapter 7. Indeed, we heard it read already this morning. In chapter 7 of Isaiah, if you have your Bibles, turn with me there because we're going to spend the remainder of our time in Isaiah. Uh, you will see that there is this prophecy that is given uh, to Ahaz that there will be a virgin who will give birth to a child. You will call his name Emmanuel. Verse 15 says he will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of two kings you dread will be laid waste. This is a prophecy that is given to show God's fulfilling faithfulness To rescue his people. And in the middle of this prophecy, the sign is not simply the virgin birth. That's not simply the sign. It includes the name that is to be given to this child. Emmanuel. Now, I grew up listening to Amy Grant saying Emmanuel. And it was always surrounding Christmas time. And in our house, Christmas time meant cookies. Well, healthy cookies. And, um, and it, it, was, it was any residual bow hunting or muzzle loading season. It, it, was, it was filled with decorating the tree, anticipation of presents. I mean, as I grew up as a child, my understanding of Emmanuel was intrinsically linked to some of my cultural traditions for an American Christmas, even a Christian Christmas. I need to share with you this morning none of that. None of that is present in Isaiah chapter 7 and 8. Emmanuel is going to mean something that for us in understanding who this chosen one is, we're going to have to dig a little bit deeper. You guys with me to dig a little bit this morning? So in order to do that, we're going to look into chapter 8. Look with me into chapter 8 of Isaiah, and you are going to see Emmanuel brought up again in chapter 8. And uh, just in a defining term, let's make sure that we understand what we mean when we say Emmanuel. It's, it's a transliteration of the Hebrew phrase that should be translated, God is with us. Emmanuel. 
God is with us. That's what the word, that's what the name means. God is with us. Which, by the way, is not unique to Isaiah. Um, As we're going to see as we dig into some observations, God has been with his people over and over and over. God is presently still with his people. But I want you to watch for the way in which this gets told because we're going to see that it's probably going to be a little bit different. I know it is for me than my Amy Grant version of Emmanuel that I grew up with. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. The Lord said to me, take a large scroll and write on it with an ordinary pen, Maher Shahalal Hashbaz. And I will call in Uriah the priest, Zechariah the son of Jerobekiah, as reliable witnesses for me. We almost need to pause here before I go any further because some of... I mean, did you, did you see that sneeze word that was in there? <laughs> Maher Shahala Hashbaz. So it's a Hebrew phrase. Um, if you have a study Bible, you'll see this probably explained in your notes. But it means uh, quickly to the plunder, hasten to the loot. So that's a funny little phrase, isn't it? it? It's meant to be like this official prophetic word. That's what it's meant to be. And the prophetic word in the eyes and ears of the Jews was to be against the nations. That was its purpose. That the nations are going to be overrun. Therefore, they're going to be plundered. And so we are going to rush or hurry quickly to the plunder. For God is going to come in judgment over the nations. That was the purpose of the phrase. But watch what happens next. Verse 3. Then I went to the prophetess and she conceived and gave birth to a son. We, we had already heard about this back in chapter 7, right? The virgin will be with child and she will give birth to the son and you will name him what? Amen. You'll name him God is with us. That's what you're going to name him. But watch what it says now. She conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said to me, name him. Mahershahala's hashbaz. Before the boy knows how to say my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. Hold on a minute here. I, I, I thought that this prophetic word, this prophetic word that you wanted, you wanted royal and priestly witness to, that was supposed to be written with, with this ordinary pen so everybody could read it. This judgment of God over the nations. I thought that was something that you were going to do out there. And you're saying, God, you want, you want us to name our child this? The reason why this is a problematic is because the people of Israel had found themselves too intertwined with the nations. Too intertwined. And so as God rightly is going to bring judgment over the nations, guess who as well is swept up in that judgment? Really? Swift to the plunder? Hasten to the loot? That is what it's going to be like over you. In fact, you will name your child this. Just as an aside, aren't you glad that we didn't name Jesus that? Can you imagine that? And I surrender all? All to Maher Hathal Shashbaz, I surrender. Like, I'm glad it was just Jesus. Like, glad that's shorter. And then we have another prophetic word. And this is where I want to give, us, give attention to, starting in verse 5. The Lord spoke to me again. Here's the reason why. Everybody, everybody with me? Verse 6. Because this people 
has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoices over Rezin and the son of Ramalia. Therefore, the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the river Euphrates. The king of Assyria with all his pomp. It will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks, and sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it and reaching up to the neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. Raise the war cry, you nations. And be shattered. Listen all you distant lands. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan but it will not stand. For God is with us. Alright I'm hoping everybody can see the picture here. A few observations I want to make. The first is this. The judgment over God's people is a judgment over that which belongs to God. And so what you and I have in this prophetic word has nothing to do with what we normally think of with the trappings and wrapping paper and sights and songs of Christmas. It is instead a word of God's faithfulness in the midst of his judgment. God's people had had their minds and therefore their lives and behavior polluted by the nations and the pagan world around them. Now, thankfully, that hasn't happened to you, right? That's not characteristic of our church at all. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Look at our world. Look at our lives. Look at the way we think. What do you watch? What do you spend your money on? What, What is the way in which you think? Is it not been influenced by the world around us? And so God is rightly going to in his justice to bring judgment over that and it's in the middle of that God's people as well are going to be swept up in the flood did you catch the picture that it gave right this river it's the river Euphrates that river it's a metaphor here is the king of Assyria this pagan king from the north who will invade God's people's land like a river can you stop a river? Ever see one of those in the, in the springtime when the snow melts? You ever see when it just overflows its banks? You can't stop it. It's, it's going to go where it's going to go. That's the picture of God's judgment coming from the king of Assyria. All the way, all the way into Judah. And so what we have here at the end of verse 8, uh, uh, Isaiah changes the metaphor here. He, he, he switches from that of a flood to a bird's wings He says its outspread wings will cover the breath. And then we have an important pronoun. The breath of whose land? The breath of whose land? Your land, O Emmanuel. Church, this is good news. This is good news. The judgment over God's people means that it's a judgment over that which belongs to God. All right, for sake of time, we're going to move on from that. We'll return back to it in a minute here. Secondly, um, there's a reminder. There's a reminder that at, is at the end of verse 8. It's, it's the reminder that it's Emmanuel. Remember, this child, and we, we've, we've named our child this because it's a prophetic word that's applying unto us. Therefore, God is with us. 
And this land, therefore, belongs to God. And when you remember that, it will change. It will change everything. So if you were tracking with me in this passage, let me, let me draw your attention back into the text for a minute here. What we have in verse 6, 7, and 8, what would you call it? Good news or bad? You guys with me this morning? Good. Not a trick question. Good news or... The, the river's going to flood your land. The armies are going to invade you. Good or bad news? It's pretty bad news. Pretty bad news. And then the reminder at the end is that all of this belongs to who? It belongs to God. That's who it belongs to. And then notice the change and shift in tone. Verse 9 and 10 are completely different. Verse 9 and 10 are a declaration of confidence. It's a confidence in the midst of invasion. Raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Hey, king of Assyria, he's coming. The king of Assyria is coming. Hold on a minute. God's with us. So let's go. Bring it on. Yeah. Bring it on then. Are you kidding me? We got God on our team. You, you nations, you think you're going to make life rough for us? Go ahead. Raise your war cry. Gather for war. Get all of your weapons together. And what does it say? Prepare for battle and what? Be shattered. Because that's what happens when you mess with God's possession. That's what happens when you mess with that which belongs to God. And the only way that this shift occurs is because they are anchoring their confidence to this unique Hebrew word, Emmanuel, which means God is isn't that incredible? I, I mean, they, they were just told by Isaiah, you're getting invaded like a flood. But God's with you. But God's with you. Have, have you ever got bad news? Have you ever had your plans changed? Have you ever felt somewhat like the judgment of God was heavy over you? I've got good news for you, church. God's with you. God's with you through it. No matter what that phone call is, no matter what you've got planned in the week at the doctor's office, no matter what your children do or don't do according to what you would want in your life, no matter what your neighbors are doing around you, I got good news. God is with you. God is with you. Guys, this is going to be an important message come 2024 in an election year. You with me on that? No matter what is happening in our country, the arguing and division that the world is going to want to inject in here, we need to remember, oh yeah, we don't belong to you. We belong to him or his possession. And when you remember that God is with you, it changes, it changes everything. Changes everything. All right, that's number two. Number three, to have God is with us in defeat is actually victory. Isn't that incredible? You, uh, are the people of God going to be invaded? Yes or no? Yes. yes. Are they going to be taken away? Yes. They, are, they will be defeated. And yet they will be victorious in defeat because God is with them. Um, I went through uh, the Old Testament text, even thinking as it extends into the new on this phrase, the Lord is with you or God is with you. And I just made a couple of notes. There was a time where Abraham was uh, before a warring king of Abimelech. And uh, Abimelech is going to make a treaty, decides to make a treaty with Abram. And here's what he says in Genesis 21, because God is with you. Because God is with you, I'm going to make a treaty with you. By the way, exact same thing happens to his son, 
Isaac in Genesis 26, that the pagan kings gather and they say to Isaac, we're we're not going to war with you, we're going to make a treaty with you because we saw the Lord was with you. Joseph, as he's sold by his own family into slavery, into Egypt, in Genesis 39, is in Potiphar's house. And do you know how the story begins? As he's a slave, it begins with this. And God was with Joseph. Do you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? How, how, how hot does it get in your house in winter? We turned the furnace up. It was like 73 degrees in my house last night. It was too hot. I'm pretty sure Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego couldn't handle it. It was too hot. No, just joking. Do you remember that story? They're thrown into the furnace. But they're not even, not a hair on their head is singed. Why? Because as the pagan king looks in there, he sees three men and then he sees a fourth. Who is, who is with them. He's with them. Remember Paul and Silas in jail? God is, God is with them. Church, this is good news. That God in his loving kindness to call you his own may in fact bring discipline in your life because you're too connected to this world. Parents, have you ever had to discipline your children? Now this is worth an amen, mom and dad, right? <laughs> have you ever had to discipline your children? Amen. amen, yeah. Why do you do that? You do it because you love them. You do not want to see them. I'm looking at you. You don't want to see them walking after the way that their friends walk and think and act. And the reason that you step in with loving discipline is to help them be set apart from that kind of corrupting influence. And that may feel like judgment. (laughs) Come on, you guys remember being teenagers? Did it ever feel like judgment from mom and dad? Yeah, of course it did. Here's the good news. In that defeat, in that judgment, if God is with you, it's actually victory. And it's that change that we have to understand. Emmanuel is trying to get us to understand. Uh, This passage from 2 Timothy 2. Paul says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot disown himself. So even as God's people embraced the world's way and the world's patterns... God's faithfulness never changed, even though they were faithless. And so to have God with us, or God is with us in defeat is actually victory. There's a few things I want us to see in conclusion, how this relates to Christmas. Number one, that which belongs to God will be saved by God. Verse 8 said, its outspread rings will cover over the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. And then we have this great shift in confidence that ends in them saying, go ahead, nations, devise your plans. Come against us. Let's go. It won't work because God is with us. If you belong to God, if you belong to God, he'll save you. It's as simple as that. When my sister and I were waiting to get picked up, in a sense, be saved, because what are we going to do? We're fourth grader. It was my parents. It was my parents who were coming to get us to take care of us. Do you remember what the angel told Joseph? Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which was conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And you will call him, what was the name? Close. Jesus. Jesus. Now, if you were Hebrew, you would pronounce it uh, Yeshua. 
It's where we have the English word Joshua. Joshua is literally the English transliteration of uh, Yeshua, Jesus' Hebrew name. But uh, that name has a meaning as well. We just transliterated into Jesus out of Latin. But what did it mean? Do you know what it means? Uh, it, the, the first part, uh, Yehu, is the, is the first part of it for Yeshua. And it is, a, it is a shortened form of the holy covenant name of God, Yahweh. So it's the short form of that, Yehu. And Shua, at the end, means to cry out to be saved. To cry out to be saved. So the, the name Jesus literally means Yahweh saves. That's what it means. You're, you're to name this baby Yahweh saves. And if we go back to the text, do you remember what the pronoun is? You will name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That which belongs to God will be saved by God. Secondly, you and I need to remember that God is with us. And when we do that concept, Emmanuel, God has not forsaken you. God has not abandoned you. God is with you. Even in an overjudgment, he is with you in the furnace. That becomes our anchor for confidence. Now, now, I've already pointed it out in the text, right? In Isaiah chapter 8. Did, are you guys tracking with me on that part? Right? The, Assyria is coming, but let's go. Come on. Why? Where does that confidence come from? Because you've already told us you're with us. And if God's with us, I've got nothing to fear. Do you remember how that was played out in Matthew's story with Joseph? What was Joseph nervous about? Do you remember? Joseph, a righteous man, and he finds out his betrothed is pregnant. That's not going to That's not going to work. It's not going to fly. And so he knows, I don't want to make a big scene about this, so I am going to send her away quietly. That's his plan. That's what Joseph has in mind to do. Until the angel comes, deliver this message, and then you'll remember, you'll remember this story, especially if you were a Hebrew, you'd remember this. This was to fulfill what the prophet said in Isaiah. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a child and his name will be God is with us. And if we go back to Matthew, right? This is happening in a dream, right? We go back to Matthew. Joseph wakes up after this. In fact, let's do it. Go back. Come on, let's go. Let's go to Matthew. Turn in your Bible. Matthew chapter one. Because Joseph is asleep in this dream. He's given this vision. Verse 23, the virgin will be with a child, give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Oh, I'm remembering now. That's right. Assyria was going to invade, but bring it on, Assyria, because even in the midst of God's judgment, it's going to mean victory for me. Therefore, I'm anchoring my confidence to Emmanuel. And watch what happens next. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And took Mary home to be his wife. Joseph went to bed with anxiety. Yes? Right? Joseph laid his head down thinking, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I mean, I'm going to make this plan not to make a big deal of it. This, this wasn't how this marriage was supposed to go. Do you ever have any of those nights trying to lay your head down and your mind doesn't turn off, right? But how did he wake up? He woke up with everything changed. He woke up with confidence because God is with us. You guys track with me on that? that that's the shift that, that happened overnight. He went to sleep one way. He wakes up completely different because Emmanuel means everything changes. I want you to see this from Paul in Romans 8. Paul says, 
What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, which is very similar to what we have in Emmanuel. If God is for us, who can be against us? Church, I hope that's a good word for you this morning. Thirdly, judgment is onto salvation with Emmanuel. Um, that came directly out of uh, the commentary on this, and I felt like that's probably the, the, the best possible summation in a sentence form for a conclusion on this passage. God's going to bring judgment. Hey, by the way, you know that's true for you, right? God's going God's to bring judgment. It's appointed unto man once to die and then judgment. So that's future for all of us in here. How are you going to do? How's that day going to go for you? Uh, I could turn six different places in the New Testament that teach everything that you've done, whether good or bad. There it is. It's on display. The secular world is going to think, well, I hope that my good outweighs my bad. But, um, hey, your bad's pretty bad. (laughs) So how's that going to go? I'll tell you how I expect it to go. The gospel means my sins are more than I could pay on my own. So God sent one in my place to pay for them. His name is Jesus. Jesus paid for my sins. So guess how it's going to go for me on that day? Every wrong thought, deed, or action that I've ever committed has been justly paid and satisfied for before the eyes of God so that I am justified. Meaning, I I am innocent of those charges. More than that, God has willed within me through his spirit the ability to do good works. Not good works that bring praise to my name, but good works for me on that day, which I will recognize actually came from him, actually come from him. And so there is a righteousness that's also offered to me on that day. Church, judgment is future for me. But because I belong to God and because God is with us, then judgment means what? Judgment means salvation for me on that day. My wrong deeds have been paid. I have been granted good works by his grace. I've got nothing but good to look forward to on judgment. Again, not because of me, but because of Emmanuel. That's what this word means. God is with us. So what do you you and I do with this this morning? The first thing I want you uh, to think through is possession. It's this phrase, who do you belong to? And here's the very first place that I want to cause a shift in some of our thinking. According to the world... Uh, there is this idea that you are to be getting more of God. And sometimes I've even heard Christians talk that way, right? If you're having a bad day, sometimes people say, I just need more Jesus in my life. I just need a little bit more of the Holy Spirit in my life. And maybe you've even thought that way, like you just had kind of an off day or a bad day. I, I want to submit to you, I don't think that's what you need. It's not you need more of Jesus. It's rather, does he have you? It's not, do you own him? It's not as though Christianity, that this whole escapade that we're part of, is something that you add in addition to the rest of your life. So that you have a certain career or a certain work or a family or whatever it is that defines you. And you just add into that a little bit of Jesus. Christmas Eve, Sunday morning, just going to add some Jesus. That's how the world thinks. But that's not going to be any help to you. It's not a question of, do you have him? It's a question of, does he own you? Because God will save that which he possesses. 
And so I don't know if that's everybody here this morning, but I at least want to offer to you the chance that you would use Christmas Eve this year as the time in your life where you say, I think, he's, I think the word of God is right. That I don't just need more of Jesus. He needs all of me. And that you would come to that place in your life to relent, to submit, to surrender all to him. That's the first thing that I want us to think through. Second is, and this is for you and I, if you have come to that place, is that you need to remember Emmanuel, which means God is with us. I I, I don't want to act prophetic this morning, but you're going to have some rough days ahead of you. I know that because we still live on this side of the return of the king. And so maybe not today or tomorrow, but at some point you're going to have some rough days. I I want to again change our perspective one last time. Because the way in which the world again thinks of salvation, again I'm not talking about the church, I'm talking about outside the church. Is that you and I need to work to ascend ourselves onto righteousness. What, 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 do you, what answer do you get when you ask the sinner, are you a good person? Most of the time they say, I'm a pretty good person. Why do they think that way? Because that's how the culture around us has taught us to think. That it's this metric of trying to become better. Folks, you're never going to reach God. You're never going to reach God. Instead, with Christianity... This is the only religion. You can study them all. Every single religion on earth is an attempt at behavior modification to become better. I need to ascend towards God. And not a single one of us, even Michael Jordan, can't jump. I mean, not, you're never going to get that high. You can't make it. It's only Christianity where God on high comes down to us. That is what Emmanuel means. God is with us. He's not going to wait for you to become good and reach to him because you can't. Instead, he comes to you. Isn't that beautiful? And so my encouragement to you this morning, first of all, do you belong to him? Because here's the good news. He will save that which he possesses. And so if you belong to God, you're good to go even over the midst of judgment. And by the way, our country is going through judgment. This is, this, I am over my time, Carl. I don't know what to tell you. I'm over my time here. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to preach this right now. And I say, preach like a, like, well, okay, I'm, I'm off track. Church, be careful. Be careful that we don't fall into a pattern of thinking that misses the wonder of God's good news. If you belong to him, he will save you. And no matter what you go through, the heaviness of God's judgment over moments in your life should look like discipline. And his judgment over our country, as you and I are still here on this side of eternity, you and I can take hope in the midst of that. Because Emmanuel means what? Say it with me. God is with us. Amen. Will you pray together with me?